Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Word is Proud Media Partner of Latitude Festival. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Reading left to right, I'm David Hepworth. This is Mark Allen. And this is our guest, Simon Armitage, please. Yes! Excellent. Going to be doing a number of these um, little uh, conversations, chats over the weekend, some of which are going to be podcasts, wordmagazine.co.uk. Simon, you've done your, uh, you've done your, um, you've been in the in the poetry tent. I've done my reading. That's what done we call your it. reading. Yeah, my reading. I wasn't sure whether to call it yeah. performance or not. Do you yeah. ever think about whether you should call it performance reading or? It's, it's a bit of a sticky one that because um, within the poetry world, uh, performance has a particular meaning. Um, you know, it's about uh, a particular type of of work, and uh, some people think that you know performance poetry and this other thing called literary poetry should never come together. I'm not really sure what the, the division is, but it, it does have a, a specific meaning. Right. it comes with a capital P. Yes, yeah, of course. Yeah. You expect something. But so you're reading it went well? Yeah, it was, uh, they were, yeah, it was absolutely fantastic. I've, I've read here uh, twice before, and the, the first time I was very nervous about it because I thought, this cannot work. Um, poetry needs... Silence, really. It's a, yes. a, a Scottish poet once described it as the interrogation of silence, and you don't need much else. You don't need a backbeat, you don't need a catering <laughs> wagon, uh, you, but you do need it to be quiet. And I thought, you know, I'm going to start up reading some precious little piece, and then Metallica are going to be playing in the next... Yeah, a uh, huge generator yeah, fires but, up. But actually, it was, it's just about people listening, and uh, people come along and they sit in that tent, and it's very, very popular in there. Uh, I think particularly at this festival, you know, it's... Um, uh, it's just it's just very various, isn't it? Here, what goes on, and uh, you know, it's 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 more than just music. Am I am I spouting there catchphrases no, no, no. or something? The, the, the question we're asking everybody who uh, we talked to this weekend is: is what's your first memory of a festival? Either going to one, or reading about one, or seeing it on the TV, or whatever. Definitely, my first um, impression of a festival was seeing uh, footage on TV at Woodstock. Right. 
uh, and thinking, you know, why would anybody want to go there? <laughs> I think in my mind I got it mixed up with Vietnam. There were stories about helicopters, helicopters. helicopters. It's very similar. dropping um, yeah, yeah, yeah. hard-boiled eggs on people. And I thought, That's, that is not going to defeat the Viet Cong. <laughs> That's not, it's not the way to go about it. Um, but my, my first experience of a music festival was a place called, um, a thing called Futurama. Leeds. All right. Yeah. Uh, in, in, a, in a great, I think it was called the Queen's Hall. The Queen's Hall. Hall. It used yeah. to be a tram. That's right, it was a tram shed. Wasn't yeah. it? That's uh, an indoor event, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, There's it no suffering and no camping misery. And well, I don't know about no suffering. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was no suffering. Um, there was suffering the year that the Bay City Rollers played. You went to that? <laughs> Mainly on their part, I think. Yeah, well, were, were the Bay City Rollers booked ironically on They them? were booked ironically, but I... It, were they the informed wasn't in the mood for ironically? ironically. Did helicopters drop eggs on them again? No, no, they didn't. But it was... They, they were, they, I went two years running, I think. Yeah, it was indoors, but um, it was it was exciting. You know, I was only like uh, 16, 17, 18, something like that. So was that all Bill Nelson, Bebop Deluxe? It's Bill Nelson, it? it was Compact Angels, right. it was uh, Red Lorry, Yellow Lorry. Um, you know, so it's it pretty like, much all of Yorkshire's groups were all in the Queen's Hall. It, it was everybody that you wanted to see at the time, Robert Palmer? Right, no. Uh, no. Well, actually, yes. Well, I think Robert Palmer did, did play. I think it was a Yorkshire event going on. He wasn't invited. He came, from, came from Batley. Batley. Batley's finest. <laughs> yes. Batley's known locally as Tattoo Town. <laughs> I've got a, yeah. Going back to Woodstock, what was your favourite? You must have seen Woodstock on the telly. Everybody's seen Woodstock on the telly. Yeah. What was your favourite bit? It was the eggs. <laughs> the eggs. The eggs. Was that better than canned heat or Sly and the Family Stone? Am I, am I misremembering this? Um, that yeah, the who, it was that the who played. The Who, yeah, yeah. the Who played. And, yeah. and, and didn't Roger Daltrey uh, bang somebody in the head with it? With, with Abby with, Hoffman with the head with, with the end of his guitar, and then his say that's, describe it as some of your actual English violence. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah I'm not saying that was my favourite bit, but I, I, I it didn't play that. very well at the great uh, really? Peace like, Love Convention. <laughs> yeah. But what about festivals? I mean, just any more that you went to and camped and, you know, you follow that kind of track in your life? Um, I can't remember any great highlights, particularly until I started going to Glastonbury. Um, and I had a big Which was the first Glastonbury you went to? Well, I had a, I had a big hiatus because I, I went to one and I think it was the, the last year when the wall came down and I didn't enjoy it. There was a, there was a bad atmosphere there. It was just like gangs of scallies roaming around and uh, did not feel like you know the peace and love right. experience that you were talking about so I didn't go for about another I don't know maybe 12 years I went last year and it was it was wonderful because it was so warm were you, were you, were you performing there? Um, no I wasn't uh, and that was good as well for everybody <laughs> <laughs> now Simon's got a novel approach to camping at Latitude yeah. this year, which you'd like to share with you. Yeah, can you admit this is something this? that I shared with you in private day? But I am willing to. Yes, we'll tell you where Dave's uh, spending the night tonight in a minute as well. Yeah, we uh, we pretend to camp. Um, what we do is we come along and we put up a tent and make lots of noise about it, and you know, bang pegs uh, in, into the ground. Not just bang them into the ground, but countersink them. You know, we, we really <laughs> make a good job. Yeah. And then uh, when it gets dark. Uh, and people have fallen asleep. We sneak off. Oh, is that the time? Yeah. Like, they, they go they in one side, and come out under yeah. there. You're you're the, the, the little bucket takes them to the car park. It, it started really because when our daughter was was younger, uh, she really always wanted to camp out, and uh, so we 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 put her in the tent. She'd fall asleep, and then when she nodded up, uh, nodded off, pick her up and and nip off. But 
Yeah, ca- camping. Uh, camping's great. Uh, it looks great. It's very pretty. <laughs> it uh, looks great. And I, I like. I like. I like the whole sort of uh, the curtained light that, that you get in a tent. And uh, but up up in the performers' campsite where we used to be, it used to get pretty raucous. And uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to pretend that I'm a, I'm a no, young okay, man. Fair enough. No, you're among friends. No, I have to ask you about. Uh, it's just such a fantastic story. You formed a group. We well, know you didn't quite form a group. Yeah. But twenty was about twenty five years ago. Yeah. I read a wonderful article you, you you wrote where you were talking about you and your friend living in what you described as being abject poverty in some sort of place with a, a three bar electric fire, some student sort of miserable den with blankets over you and toast. Yeah. And you're trying to write songs. Because you wanted to be, you wanted to form a group and be musicians. There's a lovely quote where you said that you realised that writing songs was like, uh, uh, like uh, trying to ascend the north face of Everest with only a stepladder and a ball of string, and yeah. how impossible it was. It, w- it was. it wasn't just about writing songs. It was about um, trying to make a record. That's what seemed impossible at yeah. that time. Um, we didn't have um, any equipment. We didn't have any contacts. <laughs> uh, we didn't have any talent. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> And, 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 and held a lot of people back. You know, for, for, for all the progress that we made, we, we probably you know didn't have any desire either. But we we, we, we certainly m- music was our life then. You know, going to gigs, talking about music, buying records, buying albums, talking about albums all the time. So records and, by who? What, what kind of people were we talking about? Well, oddly enough, um, this is myself and uh, my friend Craig Smith that I'm talking about. Um, orange juice with a with a with a big thing in our life. Uh, we we idolised them. We tried to get everything they'd ever breathed on. You know the, the postcard stuff, the original stuff. And, Every and, and Collins played just an hour. Well, ago, exactly. I was reading poems, uh, and suddenly at, at about one o'clock, uh, the, 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 the falling and laugh, laughing yeah, started yeah. Um, um, wafting across the the, the site, and uh, it was very frustrating because I wanted to go over there and and listen to him. Um, you know, because you know he's, he's a great story as well, and a great sort of comeback and everything like that. But yeah, that, 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 that all that stuff and Aztec Camera and uh, Joseph K to a to a lesser extent. Um, Felt were a big band for us as well. Um, so you know we were trying to emulate, and we were. Uh, so you just thought I've got to form a group, and yeah. make a record. It's an important thing to do, even though I've got no musical experience at all. Brain surgery looked unlikely as a career. Uh, f- f- football had turned its back on us, <laughs> and, and, and the next the next possibility. Um, yeah, and, and I mean, Craig, Craig is hugely uh, musically talented. You know, he's in, in the band, he is the musician. Right. Um, always what was your yeah, role? Okay, if he was the musician, what did you feel your role was? Uh, right, I, I wrote the words, yeah. The lyrics, I write, the lyrics, yeah, I write. Good. Yeah, and I was getting the singer. Yeah. The Morrissey to his ma. Let's pitch it like that. Thank you, man. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, yeah, they hadn't come along at that time, but yeah, we were we were the forerunners of that idea. Yeah. <laughs> they stole it all. Off yeah. So you still, well, how did you start? You, the, 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 naming the group was the kind of first thing, wasn't it? Uh, we went through all that. We wrote songs. We made some little tapes, um, and never went any further than that. And then. Uh, what Mark's talking about is that, you know, 25 years later, Craig rings up one day, c- catches me in a, in a susceptible moment and says, um, you know that band that we were going to form, why, why don't we do it now? We're getting the band back together. You know that band that we never got together, why don't we get them back together? Yes, that's a novel approach. It's a really good idea. And there's this wonderful thing that you wrote when you're trying to choose a name. And The Cagouls was 280s. Yeah. Zoenons, or it's too easily mispronounced. 
the autodidact, too self-conscious. The has-beens, too deprecating. Uh, the late lamented. Too accurate. Uh, too accurate. <laughs> I love it. I love this. And so you wrote this whole piece about how agonising it was to try and think of a name. Because it's true. Because the more you analyse it, yeah. if the Beatles or you too, but it's the most the important thing. It's the, the most important thing to you when you're forming a band, what you're going to be called, because that that's announcing and advertising uh, who and what you are to the whole world as as you see it. And in fact, you're ad- advertising to nobody in particular. But um, yeah, we we, we 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 constructed a list of 350 names. Um, there, there's some 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 350 names. 350 names. Yeah, there were things like um, long piece of paper. Long piece of paper. Yeah, yeah, and. and uh, a close call was the uh, the Lemsip Junkies. The Lemsip Junkies. <laughs> yeah. What does everybody think? Does everybody think that they went wrong? Should he have called them the Lemsip Junkies? Anybody yeah. think? Well, yeah. they, were, they were quite Not right because much we didn't. Um, support here from the word loud. T- Taliban haircut. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. That's good. That's good. That's yeah, but more of a I don't know. We, we felt a bit nervous about that. Um, yeah. The wheelie bins we thought was a bit eighties kind of sort of pop. That's know. so. It's so indie. Yeah. So exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. You should have been on with the field mice and. Uh, it comes with its own. It comes with its own fringe. The wheelie bins. Yeah. Um, but uh, my dad, uh, when when my dad got wind of the fact that we were forming this band, uh, he he thought that um, midlife crisis was the. Was the, was the name. And there's no answer to that, really. No, there isn't. That's no, no. <laughs> You're back to rights, probably. Yeah. But you formed the band. We formed the band. Uh, we made an album. We played Latitude um, about Absolutely. two years ago. Uh, In fact, the band was to t- reveal the name of the band. Uh, the Scaremongers. The Scaremongers. Which is quite a good name, isn't yes, it? Yes, yes. Everyone's shouting and nodding. Scaremongers, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because after you've thought of 200 and, you know, 45 other ones, whatever it is, you'd have to... Hopefully, so how did, how did it did it presumably it felt really different going on stage as the singer in a group as opposed to going on stage to yeah. read your poems? It felt absolutely terrible. Um, it's uh, <laughs> I suppose that the thing about the poetry is that I am the whole thing. You know, I, I am the resurrection. And I am I, I, I am the. It's all down to me. Um, so if it goes wrong, it's my fault. If it goes well, I get the praise. It's just, they're my poems. I can do what I want with them. But in a band, there are so many variables, and you just can't control them. And the other thing is, uh, you know, that I just felt awkward. Um, I didn't know what to do with my... I haven't got a book to hide behind. Um, so how did you solve that problem? Did you grab I, the I microphone? Know, I or I did, so, oh, I did a bit of that, yeah. I tried to, tried to get as big a microphone as possible to, so, so I couldn't really be seen. And, um, did you lean on the stand? Did you? I did, did you, some of that. Do you privately go and try all no, these things? I, I, didn't know, I just didn't know what to do when I went on the stage. And um, uh, no, it was it, it was it wasn't good. Because <laughs> all those things that look so natural when you see yeah, no, Liam Gallagher doing them no, are actually we've all we've all, we've all done that in front of the mirror. In front of the mirror, obviously stage, at home, in the way. privacy yeah. of our own home. Yeah, but it's fine. No, it's 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 hard. And I, um, I think the thing I struggled with was. Uh, being at the front, you know, because in lots of ways I was the weakest link in the band. There, there were all people who could play instruments <laughs> and read music, and and yeah, I was at the front. And also, you know, because of um, you know having some affirmation as a writer, and quite often people came along and they were staring at me. I think because they wanted me to, see, you know, they wanted to see me making a fool of myself, and I obliged. Was it a kind of teenage fantasy? Is it, is it one of those things that you everyone wants to form a group because you hadn't done um, it? Like, well, at least try and do it once. Actually, I mean, I'm, I'm saying all this. It, it, it is great fun. It is. I mean, it's a bit. It was a bit like being in a five-a-side team, and and it was great camaraderie. 
really great collaboration. Um, just fantastic fun, everybody getting together and making something. You know, it felt quite old-fashioned. And the other thing was that, that we didn't have any aspirations about becoming huge. You know, it, it was too late, and so there was no pressure. So it was, it was just about uh, indulgence. And, you know, we... we, we we made an album that I was very proud of, and I, I, I said to Craig, you know, I don't think that you know we've necessarily contended, uh, but but we've we've taken part, yeah, in some yeah. way. Um, you know, and we've produced this thing called an album, which is an art artifact artifact that over the years we've revered. And that's the thing that's important to you is the physical, yeah, exactly. Thing yeah. I noticed which this we- week that. Adele's album was the first album to sell a million copies on on download in the United States. Really? Yeah. And you thought to yourself, in 20 years' time, will anybody be looking back on that? Partly because it's just something in the air. It's yeah. not a thing you can hold. My guess is that there's a whole generation of, of people, and it's the same with books as well, that you know don't value these things as possessions, as things that they need to, to hold. Um, they come along, they use them, they have a function... And then, and then they go past. And if they need them again, they don't retrieve them. They go and get them again. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. As, a, as a poet, I think we should ask you about, about lyricists yeah. and, and, and which lyricists you think are the most poetic, if that's a yeah. reasonable way to put it. Yeah. Which uh, particular songwriters we you kind of drawn to? Um, I was drawn to people like um, Paddy McAloon uh, from Prefab, Prefab Sprout. Um, I always thought he was incredibly dexterous and interesting and, and witty. Wit, I think, is the key ingredient. Um, you know, if, if, if you can, if you could, if you can be humorous and sort of laugh at yourself as well, and, and, and make a rhyme that that's probably a bad rhyme sound good, and, and, and but but have a bit of a wry smile at the same time. So, I mean, obviously, does that I mean, make you a Leonard Cohen support? No, no, oh, no. no I've, okay. I've never been into no, Leonard Cohen. No. But the, the, the big thing for me is always about uh, insisting that none of these people are poets. They, they are not poets. Uh, I'm not having that, you know. Uh, they, they haven't put the work in. Um, <laughs> so uh, Bob Dylan, not a poet? No, not a poet, no. And in fact, sometimes... You know, why? why? But, well, because um, the thing that he makes comes with uh, this thing called music, uh, which is ineffable. It's, it's, it's so difficult to describe what music means... Um, but the, the song lyrics are made to go with a tune and also a vocal delivery and a performance and an image. Poetry has very little of all those things. It just has words on a page, and, and all that stuff has got to be written into the language. And sometimes to prove that point, I'll get a Bob Dylan lyric and I will take it into class and we will look at it naked and shivering on the page. <laughs> and it's actually everything that a poem should not be. Go on, give, it, what, give us what, an what, example. What, che- cheesy rhymes, uh, mixed metaphors, hypermetric syllables... Um, it's just, just it, it, you can point to everything in a Bob Dylan and say, never write a poem. That you does see, that. he very rarely goes on stage and a load of people, angry people in the, in the front go, it's a mixed metaphor! Rubbish! No, it, I, I, it, it I, obviously I, works as rock music. Exactly. And, and yeah. you know, rock music isn't made to have the spotlight of literary criticism shone upon it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that, that, you know, that doesn't work either. But, um, this is just to say, um, you know, I'm just staking out a bit of poetic ground, you know. No, no, poets, no, we, we spend a lot of time making. No, poems. fair enough. I'm not, not going to have people who make albums come along and say, "Oh yeah, we're poets as well." <laughs> no, I uh, think this but is. But it's kind of patronising right. when they say about Bob Dylan. They say he's so great, he's a poet. Well, as if um, it was a higher state of being. It's. I mean, it, it's a compliment to, to poets that you know that people should want to, to shove Bob up into that category, and of course, what he does is poetic, and he has poetic skills, but the lyrics are not poems. 
Right, right. What's your favourite? What's your definition of poetic? Sorry, is it, I mean, you mean it's it's just supercharged in the, in the way it's expressing itself, or it's... Uh, what's my definition of God? Uh, this is difficult. I mean, um, every time you create a definition for a poem, somebody comes along and writes a poem that defies that definition. But it's it's a piece of language existing in zero gravity. How about that? That's very good. <laughs> yeah, that's... At least I, think two Bob, I, like that. I think Bob Dylan said on a sleeve notes, actually, many, many years ago, a poem is anything that can walk by itself, didn't he? Yeah. Which well, is a bit simple. His lyrics can't walk by themselves. They, they, they're, they're, therefore, he was talking about poems the, being the, different the, things. The, the Bob Z- yeah, Zim- yeah, Zimmerman yeah. frame yeah. of music <laughs> to go and... <laughs> That's low, isn't it? <laughs> the word lounge. In fact, uh, Gareth, we're going to take some questions in a moment. So if you want to wander, Gareth is here with the microphone. So if anyone has any questions. Just very quickly, though, you've been very, I think, a strong association, a strong support for Alex Turner of Arctic Monkeys. Yeah. And yeah. why would you go? I must admit, I'm a massive admirer of his. Yeah. Why, why do you rate him so highly? Um, I think because of what I was talking about, you know, he's witty with, it, with, with the lyrics. And. Um, He's got a great feel for language, and uh, I like all the kitchen sink stuff as well. I've always liked that. I think at the, t- at the time when I first started getting into music, um, which was the back end of punk, song lyrics were essentially slogans. You know, they were they were they were brash, loud slogans that d- you know didn't do much linguistically. And before that, lyrics had been very pompous uh, and overblown. And 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 bands came along after that that were really sort of nitty gritty and singing about the detail of, of, of people's lives and um, that's the kind of stuff that I admire in poetry and that's the kind of stuff that I admire in song lyrics as well so, so you know, Alex Turner is always going to be up my street. I've been slightly disappointed I have to say with the last couple of albums I, with the Arctic Monkeys, I'm not quite sure where they're going, I'm not quite sure that they know where they're going. I'm but still, they're I'm working in a great tradition, sort of a Ray Davis uh, you know... Uh, yeah. Squeeze, I just thought the production blur. on that last album was very sludgy. I don't know if we can comment on the What, because you're not allowed to, are you? No, 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 Go on, tell me. I was at the Royal Court in 1983 watching Orange Juice, put it that way, um, in Liverpool, that is. Um, my, my, I'd just like to stake a claim for lyricist as poet for Cole Porter. Discuss. Oh. Yeah, and actually, Cole Porter, some, of, some of Cole Porter's lyrics have, have ended up in, um, in poetry anthologies uh, as well. Um, yeah, that's, that's not a bad shout, actually. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's almost a poet. None of us are and confident enough to separate Cole Porter from Rogers and Hammerstein. And, and which you know, particular I don't want to Cole do anything Porter terribly wrong. Night and day. Is that Cole Porter? Okay. Two sleepy people? I've no idea about two sleepy people. Is that a Cole Porter Absolutely no idea. Gentlemen over here. Picking on a wishbone from the frigid air. What a great song. Hi, Simon. Uh, I was just wondering, when you said about Dylan not being a uh, poet, what about Jim Morrison? No, definitely not Jim Morrison. Oh, no. yes. But if you don't like Bob Dylan, you're not going to get That's low. That's yeah. low. No, wait, wait. How do you... Yeah, how that's do, how fighting do, talk. I, I want to know how this gentleman <laughs> feels about it. Go. Yeah. Jim, Jim Morrison was a great poetic character. But he, he wrote poems as well, not just songs, didn't he? A lot of poetry published. He, he, he certainly wrote a lot. <laughs> oh! That's not writing, that's typing. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hi, just to sort of take that a bit further, obviously you don't think lyricists are poets, but how do you feel about your poems being performed to music like Kid has been performed to the Batman um, yeah. theme music? Um, by and large, it, it, it doesn't work uh, because p- poems have their own score written into them. And um, it, it, it's, it, it's a very... Um, the, ca- the cadencing within a poem, when it's not actually a rigid metre, is a very complex thing, um, but it, it, it carries the sense of the poem. And if you start tampering with it, then um, not just the structure of the poem becomes fragile, but the, but the meaning as well. So quite often, um, the people who've got all of my uh, poems and, and turned them into lyrics have had to fight against those, those inbuilt rhythms and uh, so they're, they're, they're really fighting against what the, what the poem is trying to do in the first place and also they're usually um, rock and pop people and most rock and pop music comes with a steady rhythm, you know, a beat and, and, and those are not poems which have beats um, sometimes you know, every now and again somebody will send me something and I think well that, that kind of works yeah, but usually they're, they're, um, um, they're, you know, they're, they're whatever they're doing they're doing it in the wind or into the wind, I think the saying might be. Any more questions? Quite a few, actually. Oh, sorry, it's the Jim, same man who Jim asked again. the question Jim about Jim Morrison. Jim, another question from you. <laughs> You're coming back, say, 15 no. all, and you'll serve. <laughs> You've upset me now. <laughs> the ceremony is no, about to begin. This is completely different, actually. I was just wondering, when you write some of your poetry, such as uh, an accommodation, and obviously there's a lot of diexics and things in there do you write with a plan to use obviously because accommodations a lot to do with spatial diaxis and things like that do you write with that in mind or do you write almost unaware of those so much diaxis well I, I like to think that I know what I'm doing um, I, I think at some level I have a, a plan in terms of what the, the, the poem is, is setting out to do what you know what its significance is uh, the, you know the subject that I'm describing its inner subject um, beyond that you have to dive in and then start readjusting lots of little moments within the, the poem but, but by the end of a poem when I'm when I'm printing and publishing something I like to feel as if I've been in control of every atom of that poem um, it's, it's impossible you know to, to extend the influence of a poem just as you'd imagined it it's, it's going to have another effect on somebody else because they, they bring a, you know, a different universe to, to that poem but, um, but you can try you know, words have dictionary definitions unlike notes uh, in, in a song and so, and so you can try and exert, exert some kind of influence or, or impression through a poem um, and so, so yeah they, they are um, they, they, they have a, an, an architectural and, and designed um, ambition. So, is your definition of good poetry poetry with an obvious meaning? Because I'm starting to think it probably is. Because going back to Bob Dylan thing, a lot of the criticism yeah. of Bob Dylan is it's not always obvious what he's trying to say. No, no, I, I, I like obscure poetry as well. I like avant-garde poetry, um, even like some French poetry. But it's um, poetry is a broad church. You know, there's, there's lots of different kinds of it. And uh, the, the, the poetry that I write and that I've been talking about isn't always the poetry that I want to read. Um, you know, just as presumably um, Morrissey doesn't want to sit down and listen to Morrissey, oh, that's probably not a good example. <laughs> <laughs> He's 
probably doing it right now. Doing it right there. It's interesting contrast. Uh, interesting contrast with a songwriter, though, and I'm uh, interested in, in how you found things different within a group because a, a pop songwriter will often say, "I don't know where that came from. It just came through me. It just occurred to me." And that they, their process of composing will be very often trying to stay out of the way mm. of whatever is coming through them. Yeah. Did you find that with writing so- lyrics for, for your group? No, I was, I was the same. I was very sort of anal about it. Right. And, uh, and, and also, I, I found it difficult at first. I mean, I've written lots of song lyrics for lots of different projects, for films and for documentaries and all kinds of stuff, but my initial temptation is to be very wordy. Um, and, 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 you know, song lyrics don't require that because they're working in combination with music, which can make what on paper would be a very facile statement become very powerful and this, this is an example that I've, I've given a few times when I've been talking about it but one of my favourite song lyrics of all time it's not a song that I particularly like but um, you 2 have a song called I think it's called Who's Going to Ride Your White Horses do you know that song and uh, there's a line in it which is um, hey now shalala hey now shalala it's beautiful uh, it's, it's absolutely wonderful, and, and the reason it's wonderful is because there's a, uh, I think, a chord change somewhere in the middle of it. Now you couldn't write that down in a poem. It probably again. never no, was it, written down. It's probably well, just pro- yes, it was instinctive. I think is what you say, yeah. you're saying. Yeah, and it, but it is a great moment in that song, uh, and it feels important. But you you try and replicate that in a poem, couldn't do. You, you have to do it with language. You can't just do it with a, yeah. you know, the, a, you can't somebody moving their finger up the up the bass bass guitar. So your group project, is that done now, or is we're, that going to... We're very underground. Right. Very underground. Deliberately uh, so, or...? Uh, well, That's largely because there's eight, there. there's eight of us. Actually, every time I turn around on stage, there's, there's a few more in the band. That's a good sign. Um, <laughs> 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 yeah. You mean like Principal Edwards Magic Theatre? <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's eight of us now, and we, we, we represent every corner of the country, so we're, we're sort of masterminding our next rehearsal at the moment. But no, we, we, you haven't heard The Last of Us yet. <laughs> Gareth, have we got any more questions in the crowd here? I can see somebody waving at the back there. Hello. You, sir. Um, yeah, you you talk about poetry as if it's quite a technical thing, and um, I don't know whether you're a father or not, but, you know, if, if a small child comes to you with what they would call a poem, I mean, you know, would you say it's full of rhymes and metaphors? It's not poetry, that's rubbish. <laughs> I mean, well, basically, my point is, how would you mould and shape or encourage... Uh, people who don't view poetry as you do or don't have the technical nous that you do? Well, I was only describing poetry um, as it applies to uh, me when I'm making it. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a monster. You know, if, uh, you know, if, 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 if a child comes along, I'm, I'm not going to sort of give them FR Levy to read and to tell them to come back next week. <laughs> it's... Um, my encouragement is to say to people uh, that, that, that poetry is, is, is very probably the oldest art form in the world. It's, um, you know, f- f- from as long ago as we could grunt, uh, if we grunted in a particular way, then that became a sort of form of poetry. Seamusini once described poetry as an anthropological necessity, and I, I wasn't always sure what he meant, but I, I think he's just saying as long as there is language, there will be, there will be poetry. And, and the great thing about poetry is that um, you don't need anything apart from language, and that is a free gift. It's something that you're, you're given when, when, when you're born and as you grow up. Um, it's not a huge, convoluted, complicated operation. 
Um, so anybody who wants to express themselves in some condensed form is writing a form of poetry. If you want to go on and publish that and have it criticised and etc etc etc, then it becomes a different thing. And actually, as soon as you decide to publish work, you cross a Rubicon. Then you're not writing just for yourself; you're writing for other people, and that's when it's applicable to start, you know, making these criticisms. But God, no! I mean, you know, I, I am one of poetry's greatest campaigners. I want I want everybody to be involved, so long as it doesn't, you know. As long as it's not too much competition. <laughs> there was a strange uh, turn of events in the, the fate of poetry very recently. We were just talking about it before we came on, actually, which is that currently outselling Harry Potter, the Harry Potter app, is T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland app. Explain <laughs> what's on it. How does the it's, app it's, work? Oh, it's extraordinary. Will you get readings yeah. of The Wasteland by Eliot? And, yeah, well, um, actually, it's, they're, they're my publisher. It's, it's Faber. And um, I went into their offices a few months ago and they said, we've, we've just had this app delivered by these uh, amazing guys in Clerkenwell, and it's for the Wasteland, it's for T.S. Eliot's Wasteland. And they were really excited about it. And um, so they, they pulled it up on a, an iPad, and um, it's, the, it's the script, uh, the, the text of, of the Wasteland. You can original draft. With, with all these... Well, you can highlight various bits uh, of it, and then it, and then it'll take you to the original manuscript. Uh, you can highlight bits of it, and you can get Elliot reading it, another version of Elliot reading it, Alec Guinness reading it, Seamus Heaney reading it, Ted Hughes reading it, Fiona Shaw, Fiona Shaw acting it. Yeah, you, so you can you can watch it yeah. on half screen while Fiona Shaw does her dramatisation of the Wasteland, and it scrolls down at the same time. You can see Ezra Pound's uh, notes on it. You can see scholarly notes on it. It's just the, it's just the whole package, and they were blown away, and I was blown away, and. You know, you think, you know, what is the future of, of, of publishing? It's, um, it, 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 I mean, the, the, the possibilities just seem sort of limitless, really. Yeah. On that bombshell. Outselling Harry Potter. <laughs> on that yeah, bombshell. Go figure. We've got time for one more question. Anyone else? A quick question. Yes, over here. The man with the hat again. What did, can I ask you what your badges say? You're wearing two yeah, badges. Yeah, one of them's the Jamie Reed Sex Pistols graphic design, and Very one of them good. says... Billy No Mates. <laughs> and the third one I had was the Yellow Submarine, which I've given to my uh, friend's son. We're very lucky um, to you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, just a quick question for Simon. Uh, you know, you're, you're widely considered one of the country's probably best-known poets. Um, as in, and you've sort of crossed over a little bit into music, as in musicians, do you ever feel the pressure in that difficult third album that you know musicians make? Seriously, do you feel like you know you're established now and you have to write more poetry? And do you feel you know that that pressure to, to do more really good work bearing down to you now? You're now you're sort of quite well known. I think the the, the, the pressure is to, um, to to refresh your voice in some way. You know, you don't want to feel as if you've been droning on for twenty years. And the, the, actually, the last book I published, a book called Seeing Stars, was very different for me. They were, they were described in, in some papers as prose poems, in some papers as flash fiction, in some papers as not poetry. Um, but I, I, I was sort of chancing my arm a little bit with that and you know, t t t taking a bit of a, a sort of wild shot. But I think that's the challenge to, to try and stay um, alert to language you know, and, and alert to the changes that are going on in your life. But... Um, yeah, the difficult third album. That that was uh, that's quite a long time ago for me now. <laughs> album number thirty-three. I'm more worried about. Thank you so much for coming on. Can we have an enormous a word lounge hand for the great Simon Armitage? Thank you. Thank you very much.
The Word Podcast. Fix yourself a drink and it's like being in the pub. Can I start by asking, can you remember the first festival you went to or were aware of? Oh, definitely. My first festival I ever went to was Tea in the Park. Right. And it was in 1996. Oh, I'm so old. Who was it, was it was incredible. I'd managed to get... I'd managed to get a job as a backing singer in a band called the Scooby-Doo Orchestra, whose lead singer was actually is now King Creosote. Right. And so we all went in a transit van, and it was Radiohead and Beck and the Cocteau Twins, and it was I totally blew me away. I was amazed. So how far down the bill were you on that occasion? I don't even know if we were on the bill. You just I think snuck we were just we were like a little kind of a little whisper right just off the bottom of the bill yeah. no I mean the Scooby-Doo Orchestra were quite popular at the time in Scotland we, I remember we played at the Cayley tent so it was a lot of traditional Scottish music and they were a kind of um, original penned uh, bluegrass style band so it's kind of like punk Cayley it was great so what have you learnt about festivals from doing them from playing them? I've learnt that people are really nice when they go to festivals people who are usually really horrible to each other and like don't let each other go first through doors suddenly become incredibly empathic friendly people and it's I just I think that's such a valuable experience for people to get to get together over a weekend and just leave any bad attitudes behind that seems to be what happens that it's just a kind of a catalyst of people really enjoying being with other people that they don't know which is usually some people's worst nightmare do you ever suspect when you i agree with you but sometimes when you see people covered in woad uh, with hair extensions uh, juggling and things you think i wonder what they do normally maybe they work they're going back on monday to work for the royal bank of scotland or something you know maybe they just really are just liberated by the festival yeah. experience uh, i think uh, you know the whole tradition that's kind of growing of dressing up and and just letting your hair down even more I think that's kind of that's definitely an attitude that's sort of becoming more it's not very British you know no, it's to, true. to dress up <laughs> unless it's an occasion uh, and I think that that's uh, that's kind of making it even more fun that festivals are kind of developing areas I mean latitude's great for it already but somewhere like Glastonbury it, you could easily go there now and not see any music and have an incredible five days and I think that that festivals are starting to really appreciate that the kind of the more underground stuff the more interesting kind of on the all happening know, in yeah, the fringes just up the, in the hills the kind of more eccentric artistic pursuits are, are now kind of really valid at festivals so what about festival experiences so great moments of, of, of groups that you've oh. seen Great moments at festivals. I think uh, the White Stripes at Glasgow was very, very special. And I think also because one of my pet hate questions is in interviews is, um, so what, what what are you pulling out the bag for today's gig? And I'm just like, oh, what yeah, else? I'm just doing a gig. <laughs> like, I'm going to, every festival, I'm going to get my band together and, like, do some choreography per festival. But, you know, so you, there's a bit of pressure on you to sort of do something unbelievable you know, wear something mental, and actually, I'm just a—I'm a real subscriber to just getting on stage and really getting into it and doing a great show, and that's—that's that's my gig. But presumably, you have to change that for the fact that it isn't your crowd. It's—it's—it's—it's it's, 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 yeah, everyone's yeah. crowd, isn't it? Definitely. Some of them come see well, you, and not, some of them just and as a performer, that's sort of really nice because there's less responsibility on you to sort of carry the whole thing. They're not—you know—people are paying to see tons of people, so you can sort of be a bit irreverent, which is nice. Um, but seeing the white stripes, it was just incredible. Seeing two people with a backdrop, just 
really wipe the floor with a lot of other gigs I I've saw seen. that it was show incredible. and it was unbelievably loud what I remember really I can't believe loud. people could make so much noise <laughs> I know I think if, you're, if your sound engineer finds the limiter button and how to kind of get rid of that then I think you're on a winning streak but um what else have I seen? It's been fantastic. I remember seeing Franz Ferdinand at Werkter in Austria, and that was, uh, and the, you know, the Europeans love clapping, big time. Love clapping. They love clapping in time. Oh, clapping in time. Yeah. Oh, it's interesting. So you've got to give people something to do, haven't you? Big, yeah. It's always my theory of big yeah. outdoor gigs. What sort of I'm thing? very bad at the kind of. People on the left saying this, I just like, feel like I'm from Butlins or something, and I'm getting better at it because I'm realising that it is actually really fun. It's good fun. But it was at um, a Werkter when Franz played, and it was just the beginning of Take Me Out, and just the whole crowd, I mean, like 70,000 people are just singing this riff. And their yeah. music is very military tattoos, yeah. isn't it? It's very rigid stuff. I can just imagine yeah. that. How no, it's great. It's great. So when you look down in the crowd, which, you know, you're playing at five o'clock tonight, so it's daylight. Yeah. Do you fix upon faces? You try to. Sometimes they're very far away. Yes. And you have to kind of... And the really bad thing is, I don't know if this is just human nature or just front person, uh, a front person affliction is that you can always pick the one guy who's really bored and waiting for the next band. Yep. Who's just, like, a total geek so, for so the next band. So you must get people who parked themselves there yeah. early yeah. not to see yeah, you. Yeah, they don't care you, about you. You, you know yeah. that straight away. And you just want to go down yeah. and give them a happy mask. They're wearing a Metallica T-shirt. <laughs> just for your gig. <laughs> yeah. but, um, but, no, it's you definitely try to get hone in because it can, especially when you're on a main stage, you can, it can, I've always found that it can be quite difficult to kind of get the engagement that you get at one of your regular shows because people are literally quite far away yeah. and there's security You've guards. You've got to reach a long way, haven't you? Um, but, you, you know, you get there. It's easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have to kind of front-load the set for a, for an outdoor show? So you've got to give something to get them going. Good afternoon, throw. Latitude. I'm Katie Dunstall and I am front-loading. It's <laughs> um, just a tip for you. You might want to use I it. Might right that. We'll we might do that. We might just have a little later. shuffle. <laughs> yeah. And how can you tell... I think that's going to be my side band. It's going to be called Front Loader. <laughs> that's great. And all the bands, all the songs at the start will be amazing and they'll just be crap. And then they just fade away. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's Neil, it. Neil Tennant's theory about live shows, isn't it? The first ten minutes are always the best. Bono said what, that the first... for the performer or yeah. for which? For everybody. I think you probably meant both. Go on. What, what Bono it's always says that the first line he records is the most important and then it doesn't matter. As long as you get them in the first line... Which right. is a, just a microcosmic yeah, version of front loader. That's what they all say about Broadway shows. If you have a good opening number, they'll forgive you anything afterwards. Yeah. So, is now, that true, got, audience? Is it is true? true? We've got some. Uh, Gareth is in the audience. This being a live broadcast, uh, Gareth is always roving with a microphone. So, if anybody wants to ask Gareth. Oh. In fact, we have a question over here. I, I, I asked Gareth a question about I asked Gareth. Gareth a question. You asked Gareth. Hi, Gareth. What's your mum's name? <laughs> So, um, what was the first time you can remember sort of really wanting to be a musician, really getting into it, and sort of what were the circumstances around it? Was it someone who influenced you? Or? It was, to be honest, it probably was King Creosote, who I met when I was about 16, and he took me under his wing, and it was the first time I'd met musicians, and they were just really unwashed and had a brilliant time. And I just thought, that looks, this is great. And it was very irreverent, and um, they were kind of staunchly anti-industry at the time. And uh, and it was just really appealing, making your own fortune and making your own life, and uh, yeah. So it was, yeah, I would say probably King Creosote. 
So the message is don't wash, uh, people. Yeah, don't wash. Yeah. Men. We got uh, uh, over there. Yes, the girl with the with the with the plaits. What does it feel like when you're singing on stage? Well, you, it's sort of, sometimes you can be a bit um, affected by like how you feel that day. So sometimes it's quite daunting when you're going on a big stage and you're just thinking, oh my God, what am I going to do and how am I going to be exciting? And, um, and then other times you don't even think about it and you just get up there. But usually after about five minutes, I always feel the same way. And it's just sort of really... Focusing yourself on getting lost in what you're doing and not worrying about what anybody thinks of it. It's much more about just getting into the songs. And I've, I've definitely, with festivals, got into a habit of jumping up and down a lot and getting very sweaty. And um, the problem is that I'll do that at right. My front, it's maybe physical front loading, is what we'd call it, where I just start going mental and kind of jumping around. And then you can't really stop doing that. So you, I end up having to do it for an hour. Didn't you start as a, a busker? I you started. You had a year off in Vermont or somewhere yeah, when you were at school, and I then did. You, but so that's very interesting. Because actually, I mean, uh, busking—you learn in a way in the deep end how to deal with uh, definitely complicated customers. Don't yeah, you? I worked. You learn I, I, I learned that finger picking tunes really don't get you much money. No, not much money. Um, so I. Which started, was the song that made you the most money? Um, Perfect by Fairground Attraction always got oh, me a right, few of coins, and. Um, and, uh, but to be honest, I'm really bad at remembering other people's lyrics. I'd often be playing my own stuff. But that was when I became a rhythm player because I, I did start off finger picking and then you just you can't be heard. So I just had to sort of teach myself to use a pick and strum. And then you sort of want to be a whole band. And so you're sort of using, I was using the rhythm guitar as percussion as well. Well, did anybody here see. Katie Tunstall's performance on Later with Jules Holland in 2005. Just say yes. Yeah. Just say yes. You did, which playing amazing uh, Black Horse and the Cherry Tree. And it was uh, incredible. You didn't see it. I mean, she, she recorded a, a loop with backing vocal and some percussion on it and played the guitar. And, so on. and it was a complete one of those moments where television, complete breakthrough, wasn't it? It, it absolutely, was, it your, was, your career it went into overdrive at that point. a mental rocket pad launcher. It was just really really made a huge difference to what happened next. So the following day you were recognised, were you? So was not, it like not, that? I, so you know what, I'm still not recognised. That should happen at some point in my career, but it's not happening yet. It's fine, it's fine by me. But no, it's, um, it was an amazing moment, and it, it just I keep meeting people, and so many people say, God, I saw you on that thing. Like, how come everyone seems to be watching it that night? It was a well, great. Well, it's been on YouTube, isn't it? Yeah. a very big yeah. hit. I mean, it also, you've, you stood in for somebody. I think somebody fell out. And I mean, you weren't yeah. brought in at the last minute to do Nas, that. Nas, the rapper, his dad was meant to be playing trumpet, and I think he got flu. I've still not met him, and I'd really like to buy you him a buy him a large shandy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I thought so. Gareth, where are, we've got, uh, where, where's our man? We've got another question at the back. Um, I was lucky enough to first experience Kate um, when she was 15 playing Anne Frank in the Bio <laughs> Theatre, St Andrews. She was, she was mediocre, to be honest. But uh, stick, to, stick to the festivals. Um, would you say that um, that theatrical streak has helped you with your live performances? <laughs> Right, everybody. Does everyone want to say hello to Hector? Hi, Hector. How are you doing? Nice to see you. He's like, this is your life. You know, just people from past episodes of your past. Yeah, no, I have to admit that um, it was fairly obvious that I should probably go for music rather than acting. It's weird, though, because when you start playing music, like, you'll, you'll be on tour and be absolutely shattered, 
and do a gig and be in a really bad mood but you can't go on stage in a really bad mood because that's not what people want that's not what you want to present to people and it's that weird sort of bridge between acting and augmenting yourself to be what you want to be and I think that that's been that's been quite interesting for me having done acting to go on stage and sort of be a version of yourself but still want to be honest with what you're presenting so Yes, thanks very much, Hector. Lovely. Thank to you, see Hector. You. Yeah, that's t- t- terrific. But now we've got um, a couple more questions at the back there. Well, you haven't got long because, in fact, Katie does us playing the obelisk stage. The I've got to go and do all She's my got to go and prepare mad and eccentric rituals before get in the I zone, play. man. I've got to shave my head and glue all my hair back on before I play. <laughs> Which um, takes time, so uh, we've got to have a couple more questions. It's probably quite a comp question, but if you could play with anybody in the musical area at any place, which, which would it be? Uh, living? Does it have to be living? Really? I would... Um, Led Zeppelin and Fleetwood Mac both massively appeal. So if I could have somehow kind of fitted into their vibe, <laughs> that would have been good. But um, I think... Why Led Zeppelin? It's very interesting. Led Zeppelin, I love... They are a, a bit of a folk fan. group on the side. Well, that's it. it. They've, got, they've just got... Well, they're very... You know, I think they've got this very quintessentially English thing going on and a lot of that is folk music and I think that English folk music is very beautiful um, Scottish folk music is obviously kind of more recognisable but there's something quite subtle and sort of I don't know I find it very moving I love the Watersons and Martin Carthy and um, and Robin Hitchcock and it's that and I, I really think that Led Zeppelin have got this amazing very very intimate folk thing down Whilst having these monster riffs and the fav- my favourite drummer, John Bonham, you know, favourite drummer of all time. So, and just each of them is so, so perfect at what they do. Um, and people overlook that stuff, don't they? They're big fans of Pentangle and, and Bert Yeah, Yatch and, and I just think Led Zeppelin songwriting and musically and just visually just so exciting. And um, but I think I. Beck is someone I'm very excited by. I'm not. I'm not really into collecting everybody's album, so I'll, I'll often just listen to one album and then move on to something else. And Beck's someone who I've always listened to everything he's done, and I just love what he does. And and I, yeah, he, he'd be fun. One more question. Yes, please. S- about. Slightly connected. Um, saw you a couple of years ago make a guest appearance with C6 Steve. Oh yeah. You came, you came on and played the flute. Yeah. Um, any kind of other uh, musical collaborations in the future? Kind of connected before, but anybody you look to record with? I'm just trying to think if anything's in the pipeline. Steve and I actually we got on so well. He laughed at me when I said I was going to play flute with him because he thought I was going to crack some tune out from like band camp. And um, but it was a bit of a bluesy number that we did. But we always said that we do a bit more together. Um, but no, there's nothing. There's nothing um, lined up at the moment. But I'm about to do a kind of side project, uh, beats kind of dance oriented oriented album uh, with Jim Abbas, who I just made my last record with. We're going to do a little side project with under a different name, and we expect to get a few guests on that. So we'll. Uh, you know, there might be a couple of names you'd know as part of that. So we're going to record that in a couple of months and hopefully come up with something listenable. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming. What we ought to end with is, is, is some tumultuous applause, possibly in the Austrian style. Yeah. All at the same time. <laughs> All at the same time. <laughs> 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 
Thank you so much for coming along. You're on yeah, at five pleasure. o'clock tonight, and uh, very nice to see you. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you very much. If you've been affected by any of the issues in this podcast, go to wordmagazine.co.uk or apply at your newsagent.